Welcome to the Mind Your Leadership Podcast. I'm Karen Soup. In this podcast, I will have conversations with thought leaders, CEOs, and managers from various organizations about leading mindfully. We will learn from experienced leaders how they implement mindful leadership in the day-to-day organizational culture, and we will gain tools and skills. So stay with us. Hello, and thank you for joining the Mind Your Leadership podcast. Today, I will host Amelia Wilcox. Amelia is the founder and the CEO of Noviti, a leader in corporate message and mental health services since 2010. Noviti is a high-growth B2B company whose platform provides employees stress management tools, then arm businesses with actionable data and positive employee experience to improve well-being, boost morale, and increase engagement. Amelia has exponentially grown a company from a solo living room service business to an international technology brand. She has been named to the 14 under 40 in Inc. 5000 list and spends her free time mentoring other female founders and raising her three daughters in Midway, Utah. There is really snowy right now. In the episode, we will speak about mental health as a central component in the workplace and what do employers need to do in order to help their employees decrease challenges and increase their mental health. So it will be really interesting. So stay with us. Amelia, thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Me too, actually. So I always like to start with a personal question. So I'll be happy if you can share with us something that someone told you or said and changed your perspective, resonated within you, changed your path, whatever you remember that had a really impact on your path. Yeah, I think if it's okay, there's like, Two of them, two things that people have said to me that have made a huge impact on me. The first one is basically, and I actually have it written on my whiteboard, that the skills that got me to this level in my business will work against me in the next level, right? So the meaning behind that is, right, like what it takes to go from like zero to that like one to two million in revenue range is like, the scrappy entrepreneur that can do a little bit of everything, super resourceful, and that'll get you to that level. But if you continue trying to do everything yourself, you can't really grow. And so the desire to like jump in and solve problems and fix things and do things myself, I actually have to like curb that and start delegating things in order to scale the company once you get to a certain point. So that on the on the business side, that was something that really changed my perspective and helped me you know, when, when there's a problem and I want to jump in and fix it, I'll ask myself, I'm like, okay, is this something I can delegate? Who can I delegate this to? Even though I might be able to do it faster or better, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get in the way of my company's own growth if I don't delegate that out. And then the second thing, um, which is a little more personal, it applies to business as well, is uh, one of my good friends, who's also an entrepreneur, just taught me the principle of he calls it hell yes or no. When you have the opportunity to do something or trying to make a decision about how to spend your time, it'll either fall into one of two categories. It's either a hell yes, like I absolutely want to do that. It will bring me joy. It's very important to me. And then anything else is a no. So if it's in the like, yeah, that might be fun or yeah, 
this would be good. Or like, maybe I want to do it, or maybe I don't want to go. It could be a social engagement. It could be a speaking engagement. It could even be a business opportunity, right? If it's not a hell yes, there should be no re- no room for that in your life. And the default answer should be no. So I go through this exercise all the time because, you know, emails come in and people want you to like speak of things. And I mean, podcasts, right? And I'm like, it either has to be a hell yes or I say no. And so I have to ask myself that question all the time. So I think that's something really great that can be applied to like personal and business as well. Sure, I love it. That's really important thing to really understand if you're passionate to do it and if not let it go and create space for what you like to do love it thank you yeah. and Amelia it brings me to the next question to ask you really about your personal path and what brought you to build this company this great company yeah so I I've been into entrepreneurship since I was young, my husband and I had run like a couple different businesses that failed. And then my background, I'm actually a massage therapist and I studied exercise and nutrition in college. So I've always been really passionate about the wellness space and involved in health and wellness. And so I started a company called Incorporate Massage in 2010. And that was a company I scaled to 6 million in revenue And we worked with about 4,000 businesses all over the U.S. and Canada and Mexico as well. And uh, just (laughs) grew that company. It was awesome. We scaled. We had developed a platform where people could just book massages at their office like online without having to talk to a sales rep. And it would automatically send out these notifications to our massage therapists. They could accept the jobs. And like it was just all automated from end to end. It was really awesome. And we had just raised $2 million in angel funding to expand the company and really be able to bring anything on site to the place of employment for employees. You know, and if you remember like pre-COVID, people were bringing in like on-site chiropractic, dental cleanings, like anything the employees needed was being brought into the office at that time to keep them on campus and give them more benefits. And it was kind of like a competition to see like which which tech company could have more on-site benefits. So we saw that opportunity. We raised money and our goal was to expand our platform to be able to bring anything on-site. And As you can imagine, the world changed in March of 2020 when COVID hit. We had a 98% revenue reduction in about 10 days. So as soon as COVID hit the shores of the U.S., um, all of our clients started calling. And initially it was like, hey, you know, we're shutting down for a couple of weeks. We just want to push our massage dates out because people didn't know how long it was going to last. And everyone thought it would blow or relatively quickly. And then it kept getting pushed further out, further out. And then eventually clients were like, hey, we're going to stay remote. Like we want to cancel. And so we just, we had no revenue coming in, but we had a ton of customer success, like requirements, like people were calling in and they were wanting to move dates. They were wanting to cancel things. We were having to communicate with our massage therapists and tell them like they didn't have any work because things were getting canceled. So there was a ton of like support requirements that required our team to be working. We had no revenue coming in. We basically made the decision not to shut the company down, but to furlough our team, hold on to the like couple hundred thousand we had left in cash and figure out how we could adjust the company or pivot into something that could help people virtually mm-hmm. with the with the skills and the team that we had in place. And I saw a huge opportunity around mental health, just a ton of need. 
And I'm personally very passionate about mental health. It's played a huge role in my life personally and many members of my family. In fact, I would always say everyone needs therapy. (laughs) Even if you don't think you need therapy. I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of like my personal mantra anyway. So when I saw the opportunity to, to help people with their mental health, I was like, oh man, we can totally solve this problem. Because there's a huge problem around access to care, right? Where people are just like, oh, it's like a two month wait to get in to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. So we already had a team that could like hire massage therapists at scale and manage them and onboard them virtually. And we just said, hey, let's bring our recruiting team back from furlough and let's just see if we can go out and hire mental health therapists and run that same play and run that same playbook and everything. And so we did. And it turned out there were plenty of therapists that were open to working for us. And it wasn't actually like a a supply and demand issue. They just really needed a path to get in front of people that needed it. And so we were able to solve for that. And we raised another angel round after we pivoted into mental health of about 800,000 and then went from like five clients to 35 clients. Then we raised about 4 million in venture funding last year. Now we're sitting at about hundred companies that we work with and growing really fast. Wow, that's amazing. And you know, I really love your mission that you wrote on your website to make people happy and improve life through mental health and well-being support. I really believe it. And, you know, it really resonates with me because my also mission and vision, it's I see the workplaces as a platform for humanity development. So I think it goes together, right? So the coronavirus came and hit and increased the anxiety, burnout and stress. And you saw this opportunity to leverage it in order to make good in the world through their workplace. So I'm really interested to learn about what mainly employees need nowadays in the workplace in order to increase their well-being and to decrease their stress and anxiety. If I'm a manager, how can I see the symptoms among my employees and how can I approach it? So it's, you know, kind of two questions, but... Yeah, so it is It is a couple of questions. So I'll, I'll break it down in a couple of different ways. From the like manager perspective, right? Being able to find, recognize the signs and symptoms, right? Like isolation, people feeling disconnected, especially if if they're starting to interact less. One of the big key things that people really need right now, especially in this remote and hybrid work environment is that feeling of connection and community. And so it's one of the things we facilitate through our platform too, through different types of group experiences and workshops and trainings. But there are a lot of people, it's just the world, right? Is struggling with a lack of connection. We're in our homes a lot, not not leaving as often as we used to. Public gatherings. I mean, there's still a lot of people that are uncomfortable going to, you know, like concerts or parties and things. So yeah, in general, people have just been left a lot more isolated than they were before COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the complaints we hear from from HR as well as from individual employees is this lack of connection and this lack of community, and it turns into lack of engagement with the company, right? Because People work at places where they feel connected to the people that they're working with. So if that connection isn't there, we're going to see higher attrition rates and less employee satisfaction, less productivity and all those things. So, yeah, I mean, the key for managers is having really meaningful one-on-ones. So how can we ask better questions in those one-on-ones? Like, how are you feeling? And not just accepting good because good's not a feeling. (laughs) How do we go a layer deeper with our employees? Um, If you're doing good one-on-ones with your team, you should know in general, like what's going on in that employee's life. You should know about their family. 
trips that they have coming up. And that's building that sense of connection between the manager and the employee. And that's that's how we help them. And that's also where you're going to see those signs, right? So I, I even had a meeting with one of my employees uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, and I was just like, man, you just seem, you seem like you're not super happy, kind of coming off with some negative, like negative energy and, you know, what's going on. And he's just like, well, he's like, I don't have kids and work is like 90% of my life. He's like, if I don't feel like I'm winning at work, then I'm not winning at life mm. because it's, it is his life. Right. And that was pretty profound. And I was like, yeah, well, like, what do we need for you to feel like you're winning? Like what resources do you need? And ultimately he just felt like he was really stretched thin and starting to feel burnout. And I was like, oh, I can see the signs of burnout there. And I said, I, I need you to take some days off of work. I need you to go find the thing that recharges you. And for him, that's like gaming. He loves like board games and playing video games and stuff like that, like excites him. And I'm just like, okay, let's take a couple of days off. And all he did was play games for a couple of days. And he came back like in such a better place. So I think as managers, we have to look for those signs of burnout and depression and disconnect. Um, and then we have to give those employees permission to do what they need to do to take care of themselves. Amazing. I really love it. And I think you need to be mindful and really to be able to hold the space for the employee and to really be with him in his vulnerability and to connect to this feeling. I think it's easy for him to be there. So I think it's something we need to nourish the ability, the humanity, right, to connect because it's not a automation, right? Something that we need to do from our human aspect to be the present. So I really love that you really listen to him. And so beyond these words, because you felt it at the beginning, it was interesting because you reacted to what he said. And then you say, okay, how we can help you be more resourceful and be happy in the work. But actually he needed the other aspect to fool himself with other things, not only work. And then you were mindful enough and sensitive to, to understand it and give him, even if he didn't know how to say it, you knew to let him take these days off because he didn't say he wanted to take him. So this is amazing. I think it's really self-awareness for yourself and others. And you know, it reminds me, yesterday I facilitated a course and one of the managers came to me and asked me, what do you say? You're talking about mindfulness and um, putting boundaries and having this time to reflect, to pause, to breathe. But during the day, the managers want us to work also, to be attentive. So we're going home, so we don't have really these boundaries. And you think that we can put boundaries in our workplaces and say, okay, now I, I need to be with my kids. And I said, actually, yes, this is your duty. Nobody will tell you to put boundaries. You need to put them for yourself to respect your own time. And that's okay to say, okay, in this hour, I'm sitting to have dinner with my family. I won't be available, but you need to create these patterns. And I think it's, it's not a common thing right now, right? So in this, this transformation, also in the workplaces, in the mental health aspect, it's not there yet, but I think we need to take ownership on the mental health, right? Because nobody will take it for us. What do you think about it? A hundred percent. I actually have just given a presentation on boundaries twice in the last okay, two Okay, that's important. Um, but yeah, it's it's counterintuitive to the, at least the American culture, right? It's just like, oh, you got to get it done. So what's interesting is the stats right now are that 57% of people are experiencing some level of burnout. So that's more than half of us. But that number you would think 
would have gone down since COVID, right? Like COVID was crazy. People are like trying to figure out how do I work at home and my kids are at home doing school and all this stuff. And you would think like, oh, now we've got a handle on it. It's been a couple of years. Stress levels should be coming down. Burnout should be coming down. But what we've seen is the opposite. Burnout has gone up since COVID because what's happening is people are living at this basic chronic state of high stress and maybe they put in some boundaries because they've gotten used to working at home, but they're not they're not good enough. The statistics say people are working on average three hours more a day than they were before COVID. Wow. It's wow. a humongous increase. And we've just kind of gotten used to it, but it's really starting to build up and you're starting to see people just, just fall apart. So I do agree that, yeah, we have to advocate for ourselves and put those boundaries in place and protect our own time. And at the same time, the organization has a responsibility to set that example, that tone in that culture and where that comes from is the top, right? So in my own organization, what that looks like for me is in my email, I have a footer that says when I'm writing you is when it works for me in my life in this digitally enabled world. I only expect you to reply when it's convenient for you. Right. And so that's giving permission to anybody that gets an email from me that it's like, it's okay if you don't get to this right away. If I'm emailing you at nine o'clock at night, you don't have to email me back. (laughs) Do it when it works for you. But even a a step further down that line is as leaders, you know, I had to learn the hardware that it's like, even if I'm sending an email at nine o'clock and it says that in my footer, I'm still the CEO and the employees are still going to be like, oh, the CEO emailed me at nine o'clock. Like I got to email her back. I want to look good. I want to look like I'm I'm responsive. Mm -hmm. And I had to say to myself, like, oh, I'm the CEO. There's a level of optics there that the rest of the employees maybe could do that peer to peer. But when you're in a leadership position or a position of authority over someone else, you have to take it a step further. You have more responsibility. So now I have to like schedule my emails so that they are sent during business hours. I even schedule my Slack messages. If there's someone on the East coast that's working and you know, it's five o'clock my time, but it's seven o'clock their time. And I need help with something. I want to Slack them. And I can schedule that Slack for the next morning when I know they're back on. So I think as leaders, we have an additional responsibility to be more mindful and aware and intentional with how we communicate with our employees and set that example. Because when the top does it, it gives everyone else permission. But if they see you consistently working at night, consistently working on weekends, then they feel like they have to rise to that same level. So I encourage my team, like everyone on the executive team, I'm like, let everyone know when you're taking vacation, tell people where you're going, right? We'll post pictures of ourselves like at the beach. And that, that spreads kind of that message of like, yeah, we expect you to take time off and take care of yourselves. And we celebrate that when you're taking your dog for a walk or you need a break because you're feeling overwhelmed. Like it's cool to put that in your Slack status, right? Like taking a mental health break, be back in 30 minutes or whatever the case may be. So just little things like that and recognizing that it's most important coming from the C-suite. Wow, I really love the practical tools that you gave you in the conversation. Actually, I also got this mail that you you written. I don't know if it's from you and I really loved it. I said, okay, that's nice. That's given permission to answer whatever you want. So I... Agree with you that at the end of the day, it's leading by example. And if you give permission and you celebrate it and you appreciate people increasing the well-being, that would resonate to the culture, right? So it's nice to have these values, but when they are disconnected from the day-to-day, it doesn't work, right? So people will get burned out. So what I'm hearing from you, it's really leaders need to take initiative and create these places and spaces for themselves and show it and be proud of it and not 
not feel comfortable about it by showing it outside, people will can engage in this will resonate in the culture company, right? And create a wellness in the company instead of a burnout and not feeling convenient to take a break. And now I can't answer nobody. So I really, really love it. And it looks like you're walking the talk of what you're offering your clients. We try to. That's one of our values is to not just like eat our own dog food, but to like be the dog food, like be the example of what we're selling 100%. So that's the most important on my side. Well, how do you think can companies keep the conversation on mental health in the day to day? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, when we're working with companies, that is a big piece of like breaking down stigma around mental health is having a continual conversation about it and making that feel comfortable because it comes up so often, right? They're used to hearing it. So in our company, what that looks like is we have a monthly mental health kind of I can't remember what our HR team calls it, but we have like a mental health roundup once a month where people can just come and one of our licensed therapists runs it. It's basically like a group therapy session for the team. Anybody who wants to jump in, uh, we can talk about like what we're doing to improve mental health and why it's important. We can talk about burnout. One of our clients has a weekly kind of mental health. I can't remember what they named it either, but it's basically like anyone who wants to come can come in and it's led by the CEO. And they talk about real things that are really hard and where people are struggling and they learn how they can support each other. So they've created a really strong culture of vulnerability, uh, which really gives the organization a lot of strength. So those are just a couple ideas. Um, We also work with our clients and do monthly or quarterly workshops and training. So company could say, hey, you know, during the month of February, we're going to focus on supporting black women in the workplace. In the month of March, we're going to do, you know, a manager training around how to recognize mental health issues in your employees and what to do about it. You know, and then maybe we're going to do something else in April and May. So they'll typically pick a subject. We have like a whole bunch of workshops we do and they'll build out their curriculum for the year. So what's happening for the employees, they're just seeing this over and over again. Oh, we have this standing thing every single month where we're having these mental health conversations on a regular basis and just being exposed to it. And that repetition is what makes people comfortable and really starts to eliminate the stigma around it. And then people feel safe. And that's really how we push change when it comes to mental health in any organization. Yes, it's crucial and amazing. And once people dare to show up, right, and be vulnerable and show their weaknesses and ask for help. That's amazing because there's trust there. And when you have trust, you can do anything with each other, right? And you can say, okay, today I need a day off. I don't feel comfortable here. I need help. And then it actually increases also the ROI, right? Because people can do anything together once they feel comfortable and being seen as human beings and not only as a functional instrument. So I think it's a crucial element nowadays in the workplace because people really want to, as you say, to be connected, to be seen, to show up as human beings. And you know, another interesting thing that I'm sure you heard about that a lot of companies bring their, enable their employees to bring their dogs to the workplace because it also increases well-being and dogs bring love, right? Unconditionally love. So something in the energy, you talked about energy, creates well-being and feeling of a connection. So I also love this practice. Emilia, if I want to do step-by-step, actually didn't put much attention on the well-being because we were struggling with the company, but now I have capacity and I want to invest in the well-being aspect. What should I do as a manager step-by-step in order to start bringing it to the workplace? Yeah, so 
as a manager, I think there's things we can do that are simple and don't cost anything, you know, things like just facilitating, you know, maybe finding someone on your team who does yoga and just being like, yeah, we're going to have like a yoga class, you know, the first Wednesday of every month on zoom or in person, if you're on site, you know, some of our clients do challenges and this is like so basic, right? It's like an Excel spreadsheet. And they're like, okay, we're going to do like a hydration challenge in January and then maybe a steps challenge, but just kind of pushing different initiatives. Cause what we've seen is like employees are going to engage with different types of wellness based on what resonates with them. So some people may be totally into a hydration challenge, whereas some people may be into like, yeah, I'm going to try to get on the treadmill every day, whether it's walking or running and just move. Um, And some of them are going to be into mindfulness, but there really isn't like a one size fits all solution when it comes to well-being. We really have to make sure as leaders that we're bringing something in that can meet employees where they're at with the type of resource that they need. So it's really hard to improve every aspect of your life simultaneously. You can't really do it. (laughs) So everyone has some sort of focus. So somebody may be really focusing on their finances right now and their financial well-being. And then maybe they get that under control over a couple of months and then they're going to move into like improving their mental health or improving their physical health, or maybe they're focused on their diet. Um, So when you're looking at well-being and wellness, we really have to kind of zoom out and look at all of the pieces and then make sure we're incorporating all of those pieces in our wellness strategy. And so, I mean, that's what our platform does. You know, we've got these six different dimensions of employee well-being that we address. But even if you're not implementing a tool like ours and you're going totally grassroots and you just don't have budget for that, um, you can just build those initiatives in-house. Just make sure you're hitting all of those categories so that you're capturing all of your employee base. What are the categories that you are offering in the old platform? So we have mental, physical, social, purpose, financial, um, and career is coming out next quarter. So it's everything like, so within like mind, for instance, the mental piece is there's, we're addressing sleep. We're addressing like breathing and meditation and mindfulness exercises, mental health videos in physical, we're addressing like nutrition and fitness and social is going to be more relationship based. So some of that's going to be like social, like friends or coworkers, but also relationships in your own family with spouses and children and things like that. So, so yeah, those are just some ideas. If you're wanting to put something together, like maybe you're focused on nutrition one month, sleep another month, you know, movement another month, but it is really important to make sure we're not just looking at wellness as what it was historically, which was just fitness trying to get people to move their bodies. It's like, it's so much bigger than that. That's amazing. And it sort of connects to your approach that to seeing the person, the seeing the individual and to see that each one wants different things and how you can offer this different varieties that each and every one will find his thing. So I love it. The perspective that you also implemented in the day to day and offering this variety. Emilia, before we wrap up, is there any question that I didn't ask you something that you want to to say? Yeah, I mean, I would just, maybe not a question you didn't ask me, but just reiterating that if there's one thing somebody takes away from this conversation, it's that culture is owned by the people at the top. And the best results we've seen with anyone are when we can get people as high up the food chain as humanly possible. So if we can get the CEO to even create like a quick little video saying like, you know what, I was struggling with burnout and this is how I was feeling. And this is what I did about it. Like just that little piece of vulnerability coming from the CEO can have huge rippling effects within the organization. So once people see that like leadership isn't 
like immortal <laughs> and yep. you know impenetrable. They're like They're actually oh. human beings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anything we can do as leaders to really be vulnerable and transparent about those struggles, we have seen the hugest, hugest cultural changes within organizations if we can get the C level to just open up and it could be like just a little blurb it could be setting their slack status it could be setting a footer in their email it could be facilitating a conversation around mental health it could be sending out a quick video for mental health month is in may right so that getting some the ceo or the coo like to just say something because everyone has a mental health story everyone even if you haven't had a struggle personally you have someone close to you who has so being able to share that it just creates this connection between all of the people in the organization. And if you can do one thing, just get someone in leadership to open up and share their story and it'll make a huge difference. Wow, I really love it. And I really connect to what you say. You know, it reminds me that in the corona, when I talked with colleagues, they talked about compassion fatigue, right? Because people were exhausted of mainly the HR being there for the employees and the managers. So in order to be for others, first of all, we need to be for ourselves, right? So it's kind of counterintuitive, but it needs to start with ourselves in order to be able to spread this good and wellness. So Amelia, thank you very much. It was really an exciting conversation and you gave a lot of uh, tips to anyone who wants to start increasing their mental health in the workplace. If listeners want to reach out to your platform, to you, how can they find you? Yeah, so I'm super active on LinkedIn. It's just Amelia-Wilcox. If you want to DM me on LinkedIn, that's fine. Or you can go to Novati.com and there's a form you can fill out and someone will reach out to you if you're interested in the platform. But happy to connect on LinkedIn as well. Great. And keep up doing the great work in the world. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.